you could actually give every single poor Philadelphian $90,000, which is pretty much enough to buy like a cheap house in Philly. Um, I mean, life transforming amount of money. And all you have to do is empty out the foundation's bank accounts. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And like always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself, Morgan. Hi, everyone. My name is Morgan Berman. I'm the founder and CEO of Milk Crate, and we build mobile apps for mission-driven organizations, mostly nonprofits. Um, I'm also really heavily involved in my community. I'm the president of my civic association. Mm. Um, and through those two roles, I'm actually working on launching an app using Milk Crate for my community and for my city called Glitter, which will pay people to pick up trash, kind of like a lift for litter. Wow. That's, that's cool. Tell us a little bit, Morgan, about how you got into this, into this work. Yeah, well, I was um, getting my master's in sustainable design, mm -hmm. and I needed a master's thesis. And I'd been working in a uh, an organization that did a print magazine around sustainability. And I was really excited about the content and the mission, but I was frustrated at the method of delivery. And I felt like they could be doing a better job sharing information, engaging with people, and tracking their participation in the mission. And so that's when I started thinking about how do you help people do that better? And so I started designing Milk Crate as a solution to help mission-driven organizations do a better job of communicating, engaging, and tracking participation in the mission. And um, we launched the first version of Milk Crate, and we built an app called Milk Crate using um, our technology that was about helping people find local sustainable businesses. And then a few years later, we started building apps for different organizations that wanted their own app to engage people around sustainability and volunteering and other things. And then along the way, we realized that nonprofits were running programs, but often really struggling with delivery of the program, communication with the program participants, and tracking their participation and progress. And that's when we really decided three and a half years ago to focus on helping nonprofits with that work using um, our platform to build them a mobile app. So the same way that like WordPress and Squarespace revolutionized making accessible websites for anyone, particularly small businesses, Milk Crate's making mobile apps accessible, particularly for nonprofits and mission-driven organizations. Mm. And and um, so, what are some of the, you know, the the, the non-for-profits that come to you? What are some of their needs in in comparison with other companies? Yeah, so nonprofits are typically running like a volunteer program where they have hundreds or even thousands of people they need to 
delegate to do different tasks. So one of my favorite examples is Jersey Cares. Um, during the pandemic, they launched a program to deliver food to seniors so they didn't have to go to a supermarket and risk mm -hmm. getting exposed to COVID. Um, but they didn't have an easy way of like dispatching the volunteer, like this senior needs these groceries and we need you to prove that you drop them off. And we need you to be able to easily find their address and their list of groceries and all of that information sharing. Um, so we launched an app where any volunteer could see all of the, the seniors uh, requests, claim the one that's near them on a map, um, see that list of groceries, be able to take a photo of the delivery and the receipt and email it um, using our system and basically made everything just much easier. And the nonprofit actually told us we saved them $40,000 a year in staff time by wow. having a milk rate app. So that's one of the examples is mm -hmm. like volunteer management. Um, but the other really common one for us is like when you've got a, a youth enrichment program, let's say you're doing like mindfulness workshops and exercises throughout the year with teenagers. Um, this is a way for you to have them practice meditating using an app, fill out a survey, sharing how they're feeling, be able to chat with other kids in the program about how they're doing. Um, have a resource directory of like exercises they might want to try and be able to track how often they're logging in and doing this work. Wow. That's so, that's so cool. That, that, that's great. How do you make that app user-friendly? Um, I think for us, what we've really found needs to happen is that the app just, instead of thinking about you know, older people and younger people mm -hmm. as having different needs in the same app. It's, mm -hmm. or instead of thinking about them as though they're different and that you mm -hmm. have to think about what they want differently, it's, it's not the app. Um, how do I put this? Like the, the app has to have value <laughs> and that's, that has to be the case, whether you're older or younger. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's so much about age. Mm -hmm. Obviously, some things are going to be more intuitive for younger people who have more comfort with technology. But, you know, there are plenty of older people on Facebook, right? They're mm -hmm. on there because they want to share photos of their grandkids and they want to be able to communicate with their kids and they want to read stories that are being shoved in their eyes through an algorithm that's like, you know, corrupting their brain. Like that mm -hmm. there's reasons that people are logging into these things. And so whatever the app is that you're building, you just really need to understand what is the value that I'm going to deliver. And so Milk Crate, you know, it's not our, we're not designing the programs. The programs mm -hmm. already exist mm -hmm. and people already signed up to be in that program for one reason or another, because they want access to food or they want to work on their mental health or mm -hmm. they, you know, are in a re um, returning citizens program and they're like trying to get a job, workforce development, like whatever it is that someone brought them to that nonprofit or that mission driven organization to be involved in. Um, it's our job to just make it easier for them to do that experience using an app. So we're not starting from scratch, which is kind of a, a good thing. We're not having like with glitter, I'm kind of starting from scratch because I'm basically mm. building something from the ground up. So like mm. what's going to get people engaged? Why are they going to want to download this? What's going to keep them coming back? Theoretically, the nonprofits already figured that out. They already know the value that they're delivering, but we, they also know the areas where they're having friction in terms of communication. So mm. the email newsletter is not getting many opens with the young people or... Um, 
they're not, you know, the voicemails aren't getting answered by the young people. Or when it comes to older people, they're not, uh, you know, wanting to open up a website and log in and do all that effort every time they need to access something. So like, how do we make it easier? Let's put an app on the home screen and you can send a push notification. Every, that's easier for everybody. That's intergenerational. Um, so just figuring out how do you take the challenge, like reaching people and how do you solve it? Um, how do you take a challenge like tracking, like no one wants to fill out a paper form, right? You don't want to have to log in every time you show up to the, the workshop or the volunteer session that takes your time. So how do we make that easier? How do we give you that time back? Being able to just click a button that checks you in and logs your information instantly. So that's like getting in the in the head of the person and trying mm-hmm. to understand how do we make your life easier with this? That'll keep them coming back regardless of how old they are. And how, how, how many people are working for your company at the moment? Um, I never know the answer to that question because the other day my developer said he had 10 yeah. people on his team and I was yeah. like, really? Because <laughs> um, I'm not doing all the hiring anymore. No, no, um, I, I understand. We're on three continents um, oh. and we have, I, I'm going to just say about two dozen people. Cool. Wow. Um, yeah. Let, t- tell me a little bit more about, you know, the the app that you're working on, you know, within your own community, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. What does it does uh, exact yeah. do exactly, and and um, what do you hope ultimately it will accomplish? Yeah, yeah. It's been really exciting to get to like be a customer in my own company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also <laughs> driving my teammates a little crazy because I keep yeah. changing my mind about the logo and the layout yeah. and everything. I'm like, am I your worst customer? <laughs> um, But yeah, the website is getglitterapp.com and Mm -hmm. we named it Glitter because uh, the tagline is report litter, make the city glitter. Cool. And we conceived of it to be very kind of in the vein of a demand aggregation type, uh, you know, gig economy app the same way that um, rideshare and, um, you know, food delivery and all that has gone. We have this major problem in Philadelphia around litter. Um, we have some other problems as well that are all about like kind of community engagement. And so I see this as an entry point to solve some of that. Um, and we're basically getting individual residents and corporations and businesses that want to sponsor their block or their neighborhood or a whole section of the city to go from, you know, a really high number on the litter index to being maintained and cleaned every week. Um, by local people who are going to get paid to do this work. Because we Mm -hmm. also have a problem in Philadelphia where we're the largest poor city in America. We have a 40% poverty rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of just using the federal numbers of like what federal, the federal poverty line. If you look at real poverty, it's even worse Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a living wage and how many people don't have one in the city while trying to support a family. So Um, We see this as a way to put money in people's pockets, particularly people who maybe don't have access to a car or maybe can't pass a background check and get be able to do the gig economy work of like an Uber or Lyft. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to pay a guaranteed living wage to folks who, um, you know, can do this work without using a car and actually make their neighborhood better. Um, So that's what glitter is all about. Mm -hmm. And um, cleaning up our streets, paying people, building community 
Um, and yeah, so Glitter is launching this summer. Um, mm-hmm. We're working in partnership with an amazing, um, we call them celebrities when someone's a local celebrity. <laughs> <clears throat> He's also honestly becoming a national celebrity at this point, but um, your fave trash man, uh, Terrell Hagler, um, became an icon during the pandemic of kind of the struggles and heroicism of our sanitation workers. And he has since started his own nonprofit focused on cleaning the streets and um, advocating for the rights of um, sanitation workers and other frontline workers. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're partnering with him to get the word out and um, a lot of other things related to Glitter and its launch. And yeah, so that's that's what's happening. We actually have a wait list right now so people can sign up to both get notified when the app goes live as well as um, apply wow. to become a paid tender. Um, and we're kind of evaluating um, yeah, we're going to be evaluating applicants, uh, and kind of doling out sections of the city as we collect sponsors. So we're really focused right now on building out the infrastructure and collecting sponsors, um, and working with some really amazing companies like ShopRite and The Rounds here in Philadelphia, um, a new startup, and they're going to, they're sponsoring sections of the city. And we are talking with a bunch of others that we hope to sign soon. Hmm. Wow, this sounds exciting. Uh, do you do you hope that ultimately it will go to other cities as well, or you know? Yeah, definitely. We mm-hmm. definitely want to grow to other cities. I actually was just updating the FAQ page a minute ago because yeah. uh, my team, I was having them look over the website. I'm like, okay, what did I miss? And they were like, you forgot to talk about like where it's based and the plan to grow. So mm-hmm. I just add, yeah. So we definitely want to grow across the country um, as we kind of we got you know. This is even though I've built a startup once, there's I know yeah. there's gonna be a million things that we're gonna get wrong this first time around. I already know yeah. what some of them are gonna be, but we just gotta deal with it. And mm-hmm. um yeah, but once Great. we kind of work some of the kinks, I'd love to grow it. Morgan, I would like to to go to, you know, to take you to my virtual hundred mile walk a little bit and um you know, the reason that I started this uh, uh, podcast is because, yeah, I, I during my walks, I, I would meet people and, and would talk about life. And um, I would ask them the question, you know, if you were asked to walk 100 miles in a week, um, you know, you know that I do it for to uh, raise awareness and funds for um, hunger, poverty, injustice. Yeah. Why would you walk 100 miles? Um, like what cause would drive me to do it knowing mm-hmm. that it would make a difference? Yeah. I've never done like a, yeah. So I'm trying to think uh, like what cause matters most to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm spending a lot of time and energy on, um, these kind of interconnected issues or these issues that I'm bringing together with glitter, um, litter and and kind of environmental issues and their quality of life uh, that the litter is presenting uh, the challenge to it. And then poverty, like those are the two things that I've been pouring mm-hmm. a ton of energy into um, because they're two things that I just, I mean, the poverty is the number one issue here in Philadelphia, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, you know, all, I can't personally on my own solve that, but I can make a dent in it while mm-hmm. tackling this other problem. I've often found that when you bring two problems together, there's kind of a an opportunity to make more of a difference by linking them. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been trying to do is tackle a problem that's like feels a little more tangible and a little mm-hmm. bit more accessible 
that can then kind of make an impact on this much bigger, much more important issue. My first couple of jobs out of college, um, and I was a women's studies major and actually did a lot of work while in college focused on reproductive health care, advocacy and education, um, as well as was a domestic violence hotline operator and things like that. Um, I, I worked in nonprofits focused on reproductive health care access mm-hmm. and um, know how important that can be, especially in the lives of young people who maybe don't have anywhere to turn. It's important to be able to do that work. Yeah, why do you, you know, get out of bed every day? You know, what drives you? Why? Because I hear my baby crying and she woke <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> um, I became a mother during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I have a 10-month-old daughter. and cool. um, Congratulations. Yeah, I, thank you. Used to get to sleep a little later and now she's up a little earlier. Um, so she's definitely the thing waking me up most days. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's definitely, uh, there's like, bittersweetness to it because I definitely don't want to get out of bed, you know, an hour or two earlier than I naturally would. But I do know that when I walk in there, she just like jumps up and down and yeah. has the just smile on her face to see me. And so that's something I look forward to. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, you know, when, when often when I, you know, walk physically or, or virtually and we talk about, you know, uh, what drives you in life? Uh, what, what do you think is the purpose? We end up talking about religion and spirituality and how people think about it and, and what they, you know, if that's important or not in their lives. Um, and yeah, then also often we talk about the younger generation because they seem to be, you know, maybe, well, some of my uh, co-walkers think that the younger generation is less religious or even less spiritual, maybe. Others think, no, they are not less, but, you know, they tend to, uh, you know, uh, you know, have parted ways with institutionalized religion, so from church. So that's the difference. So when you look at your, you know, your own community and the younger generation, what do you see around um, religion and spirituality? Uh, well, I'm a millennial, so I'll, and most of my friends are, so mm-hmm. I'll just kind of speak generally, I guess, about you know, people in their thirties or so. Um, yeah, I think at least in where I live with in the kind of communities that I'm in, which are mostly East coast privileged urban millennials, you know, it's a very specific demographic. We're definitely a lot less religious. We, um, we grew up in an era where I think, um, religion was not painted as, uh, or not seen as something that was providing value in people's lives, but was more often something that was, um, judgmental, a source of pain or, um, you know, presenting ideologies that were in conflict with their values. Um, and so, you know, that's not been something that I grew up with. It's not, I was, I grew up with traditions and, um, you know, identity around, uh, the kind of heritage of my parents, but it was never put on me as like, um, values and religion were not, my values weren't derived from religion. My values were derived from a a kind of ethics and a sense of belonging and community. Um, And I think that's where most of the people that, you know, kind of are in my life and similar to me, that's how they think about, you know, what drives you, how do what guides you around what matters. It's kind of a value system and um, that's derived from an ethical 
foundation that is separate from um, ideology and dogma of, you know, organized religion. Um, I think it's possible to live a very ethical life without being a religious person. Um, I think there's plenty of examples of that. And I think that that's what's kind of been a driving force in people saying, I don't need to be religious to do good in the world. Um, and there's plenty of people who it's very connected. Um, but I do think that that's typically not my demographic, not, not my generation. Um, yeah. And, and would you still consider them to be spiritual? Is spirituality still important or also that's different? I mean, I think that word gets used in a lot of different ways to mean mm -hmm. different things. Um, I know a lot, you know, yeah, some people say that they're more spiritual than religious. And I think sometimes that's just a way for them to kind of hedge their discomfort with letting go of something that maybe was important to them or to their parents. Mm -hmm. And other people, you know, really mean it as like, you know, it it kind of means whatever religion means to other people, but without the, the labels. Uh, I, I can't really speak to that too personally because I don't, that word... My mom and I've had a lot of conversations about mm -hmm. that word. It doesn't do anything for me. I really do feel a very strong sense of connection to like my community and the universe without believing in a dogma, um, without using the word spiritual. I think that word just kind of is used as a, uh, a placeholder for people who haven't really figured out how they feel about religion. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What do you worry about uh, at the moment? <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of things to worry about <laughs> if you want to like put in the effort to start listing them. Um, I, I I do know that worrying about things doesn't necessarily help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I try to not spend too much time worrying. I also try not to spend too much time reading the news. Uh, I just mm -hmm. absorb enough to like make sure I know what's going on around me and then try and keep pushing forward on the things I'm working on. So instead of spending my energy worrying, I'm spending my energy working. You know, I, I'm, I've been worried about my community. Um, and so I'm doing something to try and fix it. I'm teaming up with somebody with people who I think can help me fix it. Um, you know, I, That's that's how I, I think about it. Um, I get very frustrated with people in my life who spend too much time worrying and not enough mm -hmm. time acting. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I were to just list off the top of my head the things that if I were to just sit around and worry about, they would be things like climate change, poverty, uh, the gun violence in Philadelphia, and mm -hmm. basically the complete um, breakdown of opportunity and social mobility um, and safety for huge chunks of the population, particularly people of color living in low income, you know, super under-resourced communities. Um, basically, all of that can be summarized with the wealth gap. I mean, there's a disgusting system in place that is allowing, you know, billionaires to go on private rocket ships. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm watching my neighbor's take food out of a community fridge because that's where they, where they can get food to eat. Um, the tax structure in our country has allowed this to happen. Corporations are sheltering billions and billions of dollars overseas. You know, low-income people are being charged at, you know, many times higher uh, on their income taxes. So the way that our systems are structured in terms of 
wealth and how it's allowed to be hoarded by the people who have the power and the wealth, uh, that's disgusting and it's hurting people. And that's, you know, that's the thing that really needs to change. Where do you still see hope? I mean, I see it in the people who set up the community fridge and I see it in the um, journalists who are writing the articles about these issues in the New York Times about how our tax system is broken and that we have, you know, elected officials in the last election that might actually do something about it. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> like, I have some mm-hmm. hope that there are people that are paying attention to, you know, the huge income inequality issue in this country and that, you know, we're trying to, you know, in my own small way with glitter, trying to get some money from these businesses that want to sponsor this quality of life community issue that will then put money in people's pockets. Like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, my own small way trying to help distribute some of that money um, in a just way that makes a positive impact. Um, yeah. I mean, I see hope in partnering with Terrell, your fave trash man, like mm-hmm. that someone like him, someone who, I mean, he has this incredible background before becoming a sanitation worker, but like that, um, that a young adult, black man sanitation worker became a beacon of hope and heroism during the pandemic in Philadelphia and is being, you know, given a chance to speak about these issues and make, you know, and influence things. That's really exciting to me. Um, And that was done because people resonated with his message and are, you know, excited by it. And, you know, his power is being given to him by people who resonate with the values that he represents. Um, so that's, that gives me hope. Great. And I'm, I'm going to, to look him up after, after we are done, because this is, yeah, that's, that's interesting and, and, uh, exciting and inspirational. Um, you know, when I walk, I often listen to music as well. And music is anyway an important part of my life. So the question that I always ask to my guest is, you know, if I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies you for the big part, um, what song or piece of music would that be? I've never been someone who's like super like... I mean, like, I love listening to music, but it's not like a big part of my life. So I'm kind of, it's not like something that I have a obvious answer to. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking of like the uh, song I walked down the aisle to or something like the last time I built a playlist was for my wedding two years Mm -hmm. ago. And that was when I kind of, I basically put all of my favorite songs onto a playlist. Oh, here it is. Um, Which one of these songs is my most... I'm going to pick something and regret it. I remember in uh, high school for our yearbook, I had to pick a song and I have one of the biggest regrets of my life was <laughs> I put old time rock and roll or something like so random. Um, <laughs> these are all so silly. There are a lot of love songs too, but I guess uh, Higher Love was the one I walked down the aisle to the um, the remix, and I I find that to be a very uplifting, and like I don't know, I guess back to what you were asking me about spirituality. Like I don't mm-hmm. 
connect with that word, but I find that song to be one that like um, creates a sense of light and um, mm. purpose and love. Like there's something really wonderful about that that song and that's why I walked down the aisle to it. Great. So yeah. I, I will add that to a Spotify walk, talk, listen playlist uh, <laughs> I, I made. So, all, you know, all the pieces of music that are chosen by my guests uh, are there. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, and it, it's it's pretty uh, cool to see, you know, you know, it goes from classical music to rock and roll, um, Brazilian music. Uh, yeah, all kinds of it's it's really cool. You know, Morgan, my organization is celebrating this year uh, 75 years. Um, and it's also a time of reflection. You know, how did we do? And, you know, where should we go? And an important topic for us is to look at how did we do uh, around racial justice? And um, so my question to you is because you work with a lot of uh, NGOs. Um, if you would have to give a report card to the NGO sector as a whole, and I know it's difficult to generalize, but I'm going to ask you anyway to do it. What's kind of the grade that you would give the NGO sector in terms of, you know, the work around uh, actions or non-actions that are taking around racial justice? I, I don't feel remotely qualified to give you an answer on that. I mean, it's I, I'm such a data-driven person. I think mm -hmm. it's irresponsible to make... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, to act like I know something when I don't have the information in front of me. And I don't even know how you would get that information. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really hard thing to analyze. Um, when someone asks me, how's the philanthropy or the nonprofit sector doing in general, my mm -hmm. head always goes to some research I've been doing um, with this funder mm -hmm. um, around the assets that non that foundations hold. So when I think about mm -hmm. the nonprofit sector and where the real fault lines are, um, and the real like gaps in performance. I think about the funders. I think mm -hmm. about the foundations that are hoarding trillions in assets. I mean, just in Philadelphia alone, the top hundred or so funders have about $38 billion in assets. Mm -hmm. And if you do the math, which I have, cause that's who I am. Um, if you look at the number of people living in like real poverty, you could actually give every single poor Philadelphian $90,000, which is pretty much enough to buy like a cheap house in Philly. You could just give them a house. You could make sure they have a stable home that they don't have to pay for. Um, they could rent it out to generate passive income if they already have a home, or it could create a safe environment that they don't have. It could pay for college. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, life transforming amount of money. And all you have to do is empty out the foundation's bank accounts. But that's such a radically different way of thinking about how we do nonprofit work and philanthropy work, because it's not trickling, you know, a grant every year. It's mm -hmm. fundamentally solving an issue. It's eliminating poverty. Mm. It's giving money to people who don't have it from the people who had it and who, who had so much, they didn't know what to do with it. So they put it in a tax shelter to spend 5% of it a year. So, you know, when I think about the nonprofit sector as a whole, I don't know. But when I think about the people who are funding nonprofits mm -hmm. and how they're thinking about 
the work that they are doing. I think that they're elongating it so that they have a mission and a job because it feels good, not because they're actually trying to solve a problem. Um, at least not if they really think about it, honestly, about why are you only giving out 5% a year? Um, yeah, so that's, I'd give that a big fat F. <laughs> for sharing that and that's that's um that's a, definitely a lot to to think about so I'm, I'm glad that message is out there now we are already at the, at the last question that i have for you and um yeah and that is you any last message uh, invitation or question for the listeners uh if you live in philadelphia Check out getglitterapp.com um, if you're interested in, you know, cleaning and getting paid or uh, helping us with the, you know, the launch. Um, and if you work at a nonprofit, you know, and if you're struggling with program engagement, check out milkcrate.tech. Um, if you're a foundation and you got mad at what I said, let's talk about it because <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts. But, you know, this is something that I've been wanting to, to figure out how to fix the way that money is flowing in the nonprofit world. And want, um, so I'd love to talk to anyone who, who cares about that. And you can reach me at Morgan at milkcrate.tech. Great. Thank you so much. I, I, I learned so much today and I'd like to wish you all the, all the best with everything you do. It's, it's uh, important work and, and uh, yeah, th- th- thanks. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.